Drip, Trip, and Spill, a podcast made only for the bowl. Keeping it real no matter the cost. And now, the man behind the mic, Matty Ice. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Drip, Trip, and Spill, a podcast for the bold. I am your host, Matty Ice. We are going to talk about the NBA Finals and a little bit about the sports finals that are happening right now. But before we do that, a little bit of business and a little bit of an announcement. Don't forget, one episode per week will be on YouTube exclusively. The rest will be found wherever you find your podcast. If you're listening in the podcasting world, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Drip Trips Bill. And please, please, please visit MattyIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have on the network, such as The Manual with Cleve Wason and Political Football with Cleve and Dave, which is now a live show. Sports is at a fever pitch right now, even though football is not on. And why is that? Well, in June, the NBA Finals are here, and now the Stanley Cup Final are here. I want to talk about the NBA Finals and a little bit about the Stanley Cup Final, but one of the things that makes sports so great is the fact that there are so many narratives that come out of each singular game. And in all sports except for football, the idea of the playoffs being a series of series actually makes it much more interesting to me. Sometimes you get a series that is not very interesting. It's a blowout. And sometimes you get the ones that are close. But one thing that's so fascinating to me and I think is better about the way series play out is that these narratives change from game to game and sometimes within the game itself. And I guess you could make that argument about football. Well, it's a tale of two halves and the NCAA tournament, it's winner, go home, and that's interesting. I'm not saying that it's not. It's a different type of narrative. But when you have a series, it's amazing how opinions and viewpoints can change on a dime. After one game, we overreact. And then after the next game, we have another reaction to it and so on and so forth. And I think when you look at the NBA Finals, it is a great, great, I guess, example of what I'm talking about. So the NBA Finals started, and I honestly, coming into the series, I thought that the Warriors had a lot more firepower than the Boston Celtics. For some reason, even though the Boston Celtics had been the best team in the league since January, basically before the All-Star break, I guess I never recognized them as being a title contender. And maybe it's because I don't watch the NBA as often as I watch other sports, or maybe I don't understand what I'm watching necessarily, but I know that they have a lot of talent, and I know that Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart are really, really good players, high-caliber elite players in this league, and certainly on the same team, they pose a huge threat to any team that they play, but they're role players, I guess. I didn't take into consideration just how well-built this team was, and also how savvy they are even for having so many young players i think they're one of the youngest teams in the entire league but when you have a veteran like al horford at the forefront of this team he can kind of take his his expertise and his veteran leadership and put it to good use coming into this series i saw the golden state warriors having so much finals experience having three guys that had been there before had won titles before and a bunch of role players that had really stepped up over the course of the season to give the Warriors or get the Warriors where they are now. Now, their path wasn't what everybody thought it was going to be, but they made the finals nonetheless, and they earned it. They certainly played well. But when the series started playing out, I started realizing a couple things. First of all, I did not realize the size disparity between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors have always played smaller ball, and that's because they were at the forefront of the revolution that has really started what today's NBA is about. 
teams are built a lot differently. You don't see anybody posting anybody up. Obviously, there's a huge premium put on the three-pointer, which makes a ton of sense. And the Golden State Warriors have maximized on that, having two incredible shooters on their team, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, having a really, really great defender, if not an elite defender, and Draymond Green. And then they were they managed to put the team together using free agency, getting Andrew Wiggins, drafting, and here they are with guys like Jordan Poole, Kayvon Looney, and Andrew Wiggins. And so there's a lot of talent that's there. But watching them over the course of this series, it's funny how well they've been doing with basically only Steph as a guy who can really make things happen. And I think you need to take a step away from the stats for a minute to really understand what's what's going on in this series. And Clay is putting up some numbers. I'm not going to deny that. But we all know that Clay Thompson is not the killer Clay Thompson that we saw a few years ago before all of those injuries. And maybe he's never going to come back that way. Or maybe this year is the year in which he's kind of getting his feet about him. He's still playing at a relatively high level. But in this series so far, he hasn't really been the guy that you can really rely on. Draymond Green is another interesting thing. I do have to ask this question. Is it possible that a team could possibly win the NBA Finals with a guy on their team doing as little as Draymond Green is doing and for a guy who's out there a lot? Now, Draymond is an interesting player because I see him very similarly in the Dennis Rodman mold. If you disagree, that's fine. But he's a guy who is an elite defender or is going to be known in his career as an elite defender the same way that Dennis Rodman was an elite rebounder. Dennis Rodman was not out there to get you 30 points a game. He was out there to get you 30 boards a game and be extremely physical underneath the basket. Draymond kind of does that, and he does that very, very well. The other thing that Draymond does very, very well is kind of bring an intensity and a vibe to the Warriors that is really a fuel. So it's not as if Draymond Green has been adding no value during these NBA Finals, but he's been really lost on the offensive side of the ball. And he's such a liability that Steve Kerr had to bench him not once but twice in this series, a little bit earlier than I think he wanted to. And it's amazing. He's out there running around, he's passing, and he's not adding the same kind of value, but he's still kind of out there mean mugging and adding some some vibe, I guess. And then you got Clay, who hasn't really been shooting all that well. And the other role players are not stepping up or weren't stepping up prior to games four and five in a way that which you thought that if the Warriors didn't get 30 plus from Steph, that they were going to be able to handle Boston. Boston seems more athletic, more talented, and certainly taller. And the only thing that could possibly hold the Celtics back from winning the NBA title was turnovers. And their lack of experience doesn't seem to really be playing into the finals just yet. But certainly the turnovers have almost cost them in these playoffs heading into it. And I think in this finals, you're seeing that a little bit, especially in the last two games. So the Warriors kind of felt like a one-trick pony. And when I see that they're up three games to two now, and the way that they've beaten the Celtics in game four and game five, it makes you wonder how good this team actually is. And when you look at the role players starting to come up big in certain moments, Andrew Wiggins is starting to come up. Now, Jordan Poole's a liability on the defensive side, but he's coming and giving you some good minutes and some good points out there. I mean, think about this. Game five, Steph Curry, who's going to go down as one of the best three-point shooters, if not the best three-point shooter of all time, went 0 for 9 from behind the arc in game five. And the Golden State Warriors won that game by double digits. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And it goes to show you that their role players are stepping up in a time when they need them and in games four and five, it seems like all of a sudden the Celtics have lost that. When after game three, you kind of thought to yourself, there is absolutely no way 
that the Celtics aren't going to win this series. And here they are, a game away from elimination, and the Warriors are one game away from cementing a legacy. Do I think that the Warriors are going to win this series? I do. I said Warriors in six coming in, and watching them play, something has happened. But it's interesting, because the narrative, going back to the beginning of this episode, the narrative of this series has really changed so drastically. After game one, when the Celtics came out there and looked so good in Golden State, you thought to yourself, wow, I think the Celtics are in it. And then all of a sudden in game two, here come the Warriors back, and it's it changes the entire complexity and narrative of this of this series. And then game three. Game three shifted everybody's mind frame. I was listening to a bunch of sports shows today, and just about every one of them, going back to this past Tuesday or whatever it was, thought to themselves, wow, the Warriors stink. There's no way that they can win this series. And all the things that I mentioned, Draymond, the role players not stepping up, Steph having to do everything and not being able to do quite enough, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, game four and game five happen, and here we are. The narrative is now, what is wrong with the Celtics? And maybe there is nothing wrong with the Celtics. I do think that there is an intangible element to having been there before. I think that teams that have veterans who have been there, who know what it's like to play under adversity, I think that that adds an element to your team that you just can't measure. And the Celtics really don't have as much to pull from as the Golden State Warriors do, or at least a a select handful of players on the Warriors do. If you think about Andre Iguodala, who is not playing nearly the way he played during their prime, but he's been there. He's a locker room guy, a savvy vet. Steph Curry, Draymond, Klay Thompson. Sure, they all wish that they could play better. And sure, they want to win. And of course, they want to contribute as much as possible. But on nights that they're not having a good night, there's something about knowing that they're going to be okay and that the team is going to be okay. And you know that the role players have to step up. Now, they hadn't been stepping up, but now I think it's a, hey, look, we've been here before. You need to step up and we need you to do more. And here's what we need you to do. And that's because it comes from experience. It comes from having been there before. And obviously, other people can't really pull from that on the Boston Celtics outside of maybe Al Horford, but he really hasn't been to a final, so it's hard to pull from from being in a final, but he's just pulling from having been there a lot. And Steve Kerr, of course, having won multiple titles with the Bulls, he's pulling from that as well. So Golden State, in my mind, has a mental advantage. Now, the idea of playing small has been interesting because Golden State is not really at an advantage playing that small against the Celtics when guys like Jason Tatum are like a foot taller than a lot of dudes that are playing defense against him. So he's taking a lot of shots over them that are very successful at a high success rate. But now the narrative is, will the Warriors cement their legacy? And I want to talk about the Warriors a little bit. If the Warriors win this series, it is going to be their fourth championship with this core of Steph, Draymond, and Klay Thompson. Now, of course, they won some championships with Kevin Durant, and you have to take that into consideration. But without Kevin Durant, they've won a title. And they won 73 games and should have beaten the Cavaliers that year, if not for an amazing comeback from LeBron and company and an amazing block. One of the most athletic feats I've ever seen on a basketball court in game seven of that that year. But if they win this series, they'll now be four-time champions. Steph Curry will be a four-time champion. He'll no doubt win the MVP this time. And the MVP seems to be the one accolade that people are using against him when it comes to thinking about Steph as it relates to the all-time list. The NBA is rife with really, really great players historically. The NBA 75 list came out last year. Me, Cleve, and Matt Humphreys talked about it last October. It is a stacked list. 
And the argument that comes up now for two of the players on this team, for Steph, it's, is Steph a top five all-time player? Steph Curry is no doubt a Hall of Famer. He has changed the game in a lot of ways, and he has the accolades to support his Hall of Fame candidacy. So I don't think there's an argument there. But the idea of being top 10, think about all the elite players that have existed in the NBA who have won four or more championships in the history of the NBA. Some of them haven't even won that many. I think when you look at Michael and LeBron, Kobe, I mean, right there, there's three players. And Bill Russell, now you got four. And the question about the top 10 is, who are you kicking out when it comes to this top 10 list? Now, top 10 lists are totally subjective, and I usually like to make them in a lot of ways because it creates faux controversy. But in this case, I think just having a, a finals MVP doesn't necessarily make Steph that much better of a candidate for the top 10 than it already would be now. Again, finals MVP is somewhat of a subjective stat because if you look at Super Bowl MVP, a lot of the Super Bowls that Tom Brady has won have not necessarily been because Tom Brady did it. Now, there were years in which he did not win, but think about that Rams Super Bowl. That should have been Gronk's. Gronk's Gronk's the one that made that amazing catch. And what about when Deion Branch won? And it's very subjective. The quarterback tends to get the benefit of the doubt. So when you take these MVP awards, a lot of times it's subjective to whoever the player du jour is. Now, having not won one in three, remember he had Kevin Durant on a couple of teams. And that does matter because not everybody can win the MVP. So to hold it against him so often as having hurting his candidacy, I think is a little bit crazy. But on the other side of that, the thing that's a little crazy to me is asking about Draymond Green. Is Draymond Green a Hall of Famer? Now, admittedly, I did liken him to Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman is not only a Hall of Famer. He's on the 75 list. So he's one of the 75 greatest players of all time. Draymond Green just passed somebody to hit number nine on, I think, the all-time assist list or something like that. And it's amazing the chasm between him and number one. But Draymond is an interesting case. I think Draymond is ultimately going to make the Hall of Fame. And I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame based off of the narrative that has been created over him being a multiple-time champion. And if they win this fourth championship, that matters. It matters to a lot of people. When you're trying to differentiate between the greats, a lot of times number of championships come up. And in this particular case, Draymond's going to be a four-time NBA champion. He's clearly an elite defender. He's one of the best defenders of all time. And now you're trying to decide if his offensive deficiencies are enough to get him out of the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I think when you... I think Hall of Fame is a tough call because we like to look at statistics a lot. And statistics are certainly a good measure of whether a person had a successful career. But I don't think it's the be-all, end-all of somebody having a successful career. And I think that Draymond, when you look at it, he's going to be known for so many things. But I think having been in a championship run for so long, being on a team and playing at a high level, contributing to a bunch of championships that didn't have some of the best players of all time. Like Steph Curry is in the NBA 75, 75, but Klay Thompson isn't. Klay Thompson is probably one of the best shooters we've ever seen, but he's not better than Steph. He's not better than Ray Allen. He's not better than Reggie Miller. And so this team doesn't have a lot of the knock it out stars. Now they have great talent, don't get me wrong, but they're also playing at a disadvantage in this series and Draymond isn't playing that well, but being associated with that kind of success. Eli Manning is going to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it pains me because if you take out those two years that he won a Super Bowl, his career was average at best. 
but it separates you. Being a multiple-time champion, you can't take that away from somebody. And I think Draymond is going to get the benefit of the doubt. And all time, this Warriors franchise is going to look at as having a great, great run. And they deserve it. If they win four championships, that's a lot. Three championships is a lot. But winning four in a decade or close to a decade's time, I mean, that's legendary status. And that moves me on to the Stanley Cup final. Now, I admit, I like watching hockey, but I don't follow hockey. So I don't talk about hockey very often when I come when it comes to these sports segments because I just don't know a lot about it. So you're not going to hear a lot about, oh, this team needs to do more on the forecheck, things like that. I know that hockey has a different style to it. But the Stanley Cup final is here. And now I will say the Stanley Cup, to me, is one of the coolest, if not the coolest, sports trophy in all of sports. I mean, the pageantry around it, the... I mean, all of the superstitions around it, all of the traditions that come with it is amazing. But we finally have a cup final. And the cup final is the Colorado Avalanche, who are a team that have been building to this moment for quite a while. Lots of young talent on the team coming close, not quite making it and taking a step further, a step further and a step further every single year until they finally made it through the Western Conference this year. On the other side is the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning are two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, having won a championship in the bubble and winning a championship last year. That's really hard to do. Making three cup finals in a row is really hard to do. And if they win this this title, back to back to back, when's the last team that did that? Maybe the Detroit Red Wings in the 90s, late 90s? Are the Tampa Bay Lightning reaching that status? Are they reaching Red Wings, Patriots, Bulls status? To where we are going to look back on them in this sport and say, They were one of the best teams we've ever seen. I think that it's very, very possible. And they're coming into this series, they have to be tired. And that's why I want to give them some kudos. Because we talked about series and we talked about how it changes narratives. Well, it also can create narratives just thinking about how much wear and tear is on a body. Hockey is a different sport, in my opinion, than other sports. It has the violence of football in a lot of ways. But I think that it's so much more physically tasking. When you break down football game by game and you think about how much they go through, how much game time is cut down on a three-hour broadcast, they only actually perform anything every 50, or for 15 minutes of that three-hour block. If you've ever watched a hockey game, they're in constant motion. Guys are changing up so often. I didn't actually realize this until I played EA's NHL like you know, 2016 or something like that, and I found out how often you're supposed to change lines. They change so much more frequently than you realize, and that's why you have three lines deep because guys get tired and they need to take time off the ice and get back on the ice, and it's a constant shuffle. And so for a team to win three Stanley Cups or even play in three Stanley Cups in a row, that's a lot of wear and tear on those teams because they get a whole two months extra on their plate. The teams that don't make the playoffs have a whole longer offseason than other teams do. Other teams do, And when you make the Stanley Cup, you're basically playing all out for almost an entire calendar year, October to June, it's a long time. And so the Tampa Bay Lightning need to be given a lot of kudos here. But coming into this series, they have been on the ropes a couple of times. I honestly believed that the Rangers were going to beat them. And I'm not a huge Rangers fan either, but going up 2-0 against the defending champs, that's where you want to be. And they blew the series. But again, just like the Golden State Warriors, when their backs were against the wall, they'd been there before. They could pull from that championship pedigree. They could pull from that experience and know that, hey, we just have to take it one game at a time, one face-off at a time. And they came right back in that series and won it in six games. And they're back in the cup final where they belong and where they are comfortable. 
And I think heading in, it's going to be very similar to the NBA Finals. And the Colorado Avalanche clearly have a lot of talent. They're a young team. They're facing the two-time defending champions who have a lot of veteran presence on that team and have been there. And in a sport like hockey where it's so physically demanding, sometimes you have to will yourself to continue, will yourself past what your body can physically do for you. And I think that the experience of having been there before gives the lightning an edge. And I think that edge is very, very important in a sport that is so physically and therefore mentally demanding. How do I see that series playing out? Saying at the top, caveating it, that again, I have not watched a lick of, of the NHL season when it comes to the regular season. I've watched a little bit of the playoffs, but I'm going to give the nod to the champs here. I think the champs have been there before, and I think you have to give them the nod, but I think it's going to take seven games to get there because I think that Colorado is ready to go. I think they're hungry. I think that they could be the next Tampa Bay Lightning. But as Ric Flair used to say, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so I think Tampa in seven. Who do you have in the NBA Finals? What's your narrative for the NBA Finals? And if you're a hockey fan, who do you have winning this series? It's amazing. If the Lightning win and Golden State win, we are going to have two champions that are multiple championship franchises. And the the savvy veterans have will have won out. And you have to ask yourself, when are the young teams going to be in there? Because the NBA is full of a lot of young talent, but a lot of the guys that we see as the faces of the sport, they're just starting to get older and older. And in hockey, there's so much talent that goes through. People start so young. The turnover is amazing in hockey. But I think that being given that status of multiple-time champion, winning back-to-back-to-back, that's really, really hard to do, and it deserves all of our kudos. I appreciate everybody for listening this week, and I hope that you had a good sports time with me here. Don't forget, visit MattySMedia.com to support the other podcasts that we have on the network. Listening in the podcasting world, please remember to like, subscribe, rate, review. You can't like a podcast because I think I'm on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, don't forget, only one video per week. Make sure to check that out on the Drip, Trip, and Spill YouTube page. And as always, have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you all next time. Peace, everybody. The opinions and viewpoints on Drip, Trip, and Spill are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drip, Trip, and Spill is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you exclusively by the Matty Ice Media Network.